Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, somebody's impaired. I don't care if they're impaired by prescription drugs, by illegal drugs or legal drugs, cannabis or whatever, or if they're impaired by alcohol. Impaired drivers and impaired driving. And we cannot have impaired drivers on the road. Well, hard to disagree with that. That's Joe Hargrave. He's Saskatchewan's minister responsible for the Saskatchewan government insurance. That's uh, very much a Saskatchewan thing. Uh, But that province, a number of provinces, are embracing what's essentially a zero-tolerance approach to cannabis-impaired driving. So the key word in the minister's comment there is impaired. We don't want impaired drivers behind the wheel. Impairment is dangerous. If there is something that is preventing you from focusing on the road and being able to react to situations that arise, then, yeah, you're a threat to others on the road. So how do we determine that? A little more clear-cut with alcohol. We have uh, thresholds for blood alcohol content. People know what those are. We have uh, a device that allows for uh, an easy measurement of that. But would it make sense, for example, to employ a zero-tolerance approach to alcohol? Would anyone seriously argue that somebody who registers at .001 is impaired? Would it make sense to deprive that person of their livelihood, to take away their driver's license, give them a criminal record, maybe even put them in jail? Because I don't think people would consider that impaired. As we move into this uh, world of legalized cannabis, how does it apply here? Because, look, Cannabis has existed for decades. Vehicles have existed for decades. And impaired driving, drug-impaired driving, has been a crime for decades. So there's nothing new in that sense. But you get the sense that uh, governments want to take a cautious approach here, which is understandable. It's an understandable impulse. But what's that going to lead to in terms of unintended consequences? How do we know when someone's impaired by cannabis? What does the evidence tell us? Well, someone who's raising some concerns about this approach uh, is a criminal defense attorney based in Saskatchewan by the name of Mark Brayford. Joins us on the line here today. Mark, uh, good afternoon. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon. All right. Well, let's talk about your concerns, this zero-tolerance approach to drug-impaired driving. What might that lead to? Well, our concern, uh, our collective concern that we want to get dangerous drivers off the road should not result in us... Uh, attempting to use um, inappropriate test procedures that don't get the stone drivers, that don't get the drunk drivers. Uh, we, we don't want to target the wrong groups. And taking an approach where we say a mathematical level of THC in your bloodstream will be the test isn't supported by science. Well, let's expand on that because we, we I, I think, trying to understand this, we make the parallel to alcohol. So THC is kind of the, the equivalent of alcohol. We've got some levels pertaining to blood alcohol content, so we sort of apply that approach here. But you're suggesting that th- there's not necessarily a correlation between a THC level in someone's blood and whether or not they're impaired. 
Well, I, I stress that I'm not a scientist. I'm a lawyer, so I'm only speaking from the perspective of someone who's read science in the area and, and been, had it explained to me. And with respect to blood alcohol levels, there is this clear consensus, and I'll put it this way, there's an absolute acceptance that the higher your blood alcohol level, the more likely it is that you will be impaired, and the higher the level it gets, the more impaired you get. Um, there is not that correlation between uh, increasing the level of THC. Uh, there's no consensus about it. Um, perhaps the most objective way to, to, to demonstrate that is the, the half a dozen states that have set arbitrary levels of two nanograms versus five nanograms, about half are at two and about half are at five. That would be the equivalent of Alberta having a blood alcohol level, say, of 80 milligrams as the legal prescribed level and Saskatchewan having the blood alcohol level of 250 milligrams of alcohol per 100 milliliters of blood. Um, if if states are 250% different in what they're going to set the levels at, that's demonstrating that there isn't a consensus. Um, probably the best um, study that I've read, or, or groups of studies that I've read, are a report that was done to Congress on this very issue as recently as July. And the the uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is a body that reports to Congress in the United States, and they they did a study uh, of the literature out there, and their um, um, report to Congress says that um, there there is a lack of connection between the height of the THC level in someone's bloodstream and their level of impairment. That there, there is not a close correlation, and, and, and they describe it as a poor correlation between these levels. And the, the, uh, they also point out that, well, let's say that you don't want to potentially convict innocent people. Um, so let's just arbitrarily set a higher uh, nanogram level. Let, let's set it at five. Well, the problem, as they point out, is you'd better you'd be better having no level because what if you, what if a whole bunch of people are impaired below five nanograms but you've set the level at five mm -hmm. that would mean that if people physiologically can stay below five nanograms because of their physiology and the way they ingest cannabis they might be grossly stoned but they may not be over the legal limit and it may be very hard to then convict them if they're below the legal limit. So there is two ways to prosecute impaired by marijuana drivers. You can sure. prosecute them based on symptoms alone, which is the method we presently use, or with the new legislation, Bill C-46, there will also be this arbitrary uh, pair of uh, nanogram levels where mathematically, if you're over these levels, you're, you're a criminal. And I, I guess the, the, the point that I'm questioning, as, as are many, many lawyers, and that is, do we really help society um, by introducing scientifically invalid levels for THC? We want to get stone drivers off the road. We want to get drunk drivers off the road. Right. We don't want to convict people that um, 
for medical reasons uh, or, or for recreational reasons are using marijuana but are not stoned when they're driving, that are not impaired whatsoever when they're driving. Right, because and, that would seem unjust. I, I yeah, get the absolutely. sense that, that the governments are, are looking at this and saying, do we err on the side of not prosecuting innocent people or do we err on the side of trying to keep the roads safe? And it, it seems to me that they've decided, well, look, if it means we, we convict some, some people who aren't really guilty of anything, let's err on that side. That, that That's, I guess, the calculation they've made. Is that how it seems to you? Well, I, I certain, certainly w- wouldn't disagree with the suggestion that using a mathematical level for THC is based on expediency, and maybe the government sees it differently than, than I do, but I agree with you that we're going to see people who were not dangerous, who are not impaired, who will be convicted simply because of a mathematical level. And that's not fair. Well, and isn't it also true that someone who uh, may have smoked some cannabis on a Monday could still have a level of THC in the blood, say, come Wednesday or Thursday? Well, that, that's the whole, if I can call it, um, um, problem that the, the uh, report to Congress um, explains, that the level of THC and when you're impaired do not necessarily correlate. So as your level of THC goes down, your impairment may actually go up. That just seems counterintuitive. And so a scientist explained it to me, and 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 it it makes sense what he explained, but I'm not sure if I completely understand what he said correctly. But he says that cannabis consists of 80 cannabinoids, only one of which uh, is the main... uh, psychoactive ingredient THC. So only, only THC is the one that's primarily causing impairment. Right. And the problem is that all of these 80 cannabinoids are uh, competing, so to speak, to occupy cellular receptor sites in your body. And so if other cannabinoids are already, if I call it, plugging up the system whereby the THC can't impair you yet, um, you may may not reach your your uh, you may have lots of THC in your body but it simply isn't getting through to the cells yet because of other cannabinoids that are occupying occupying those receptor sites and hence you've got a high THC level but you're not impaired yet eventually these cannabinoids may move to other parts of the body and it may result in THC then locking onto the cellular receptors and result in impairment at a different time or a later time. And the unpredictability of this uh, is so variable that scientists just cannot agree on a way to correlate um, when you're impaired versus when you're not impaired simply by measuring your THC level. Right. And now that was you know, dumbed down so that I could understand it by a scientist, and I may not have fully understood it. But what he said makes sense to me, and and in any event, it seems to be corroborated by the studies that THC levels and impairment um, do not follow lockstep like alcohol. Um, there's a there's a disagreement as to when you start to become impaired by alcohol, and the experts you know squabble whether it's 50 milligrams for the most minimal level of impairment or whether it's 100. Um, 
but there's a pretty clear consensus that once anyone is um, at a hundred or above, that they're starting to be impaired, and and that once they start impaired, they're just going to get more and more impaired as their blood alcohol level increases. Right. There is no consensus that that, that, that the same applies to THC, yeah. and that's that's why the mathematical approach for THC is well, well that's unfair. Such an important point, maybe setting ourselves up for some some trouble. Let's hope we can avoid it all. But uh, Mark, we'll leave it there. Appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us here. My pleasure. All right, take care. That's uh, Mark Brayford, a criminal defense attorney based in Saskatchewan. So uh, Saskatchewan hopping on the bandwagon of provinces who are going to take what's essentially a zero-tolerance approach to this. And like I say, I think we're asking for trouble here. This does not seem to be a rational approach. Remember all the controversy in Alberta around .05? Again, imagine if that had been .01 or .001. Nobody for a moment would have thought that that's a credible way of dealing with impaired drivers. Because clearly somebody at that level is not impaired by any definition. But I think we're setting ourselves the same kind of trap here. You know, I got this text from Eric who points out that we already have laws for impaired driving. We don't have roadside cocaine tests. It's an impairment test. If you smoke a joint after work today, you may have THC in your blood three weeks from now. It doesn't mean you're impaired. Clearly not. Look, according to StatsCan, I mean, alcohol is by far the biggest component of the problem when it comes to impaired driving. It's about 96% of impaired driving cases. So the other 4% are all drugs. So cannabis is one component of that. But sure, we got drugs like cocaine, opioids, painkillers. There's a lot of drugs that fall into that category. And there's a lot that impair and there's a lot that we don't have roadside tests for. And this is nothing new. So for governments to, I guess, appear as though they're trying to address these concerns, are we making a bad situation worse? 403-974-8255. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.